I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore, and this week I'm joined in the studio by The Telegraph rugby reporter, Ben Coles. Hello, Ben. Hello, Brian. So much to talk about. Touring squads, semi-finals, people moving clubs, Leinster winning, no more Anglo-Welsh, who'll get the Quinn's job, and should there be an Ireland inclusion team in the Super Rugby competition? Ben... Let's start with the England touring squad. Normally with Eddie Jones, you can understand where he's going, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. Some of these selections I can't see the point of. Okay. I mean, I know players like Tom Curry and um, Cameron Redpath, hugely promising, but bearing in mind there are no midweek games, only test games, a lot of this squad are not going to feature at all. And if you're going to take people like that for experience. Why not do that in a few years' time when they are considerably more experienced, they'll be better players and will take more out of that experience? It it almost feels like a a bit of an extension of his uh, apprentice programme that he's done this season and last season where he's had Marcus Smith kind of training with the squad on um, on a pretty regular basis just to kind of be part of the squad and just to kind of soak up his ideas. And, And so... Although there are no midweek games, like you say, I assume that that's the similar idea with Cameron Redpath, Ben Earl, the, the Saracens flanker, those kind of guys, just to get them in and, and, and to get them in that environment and to learn from that. I mean, I, I know what you mean. Is holding tackle bags for, for three, four weeks in South Africa hugely beneficial to your to your learning? I, I'm not necessarily sure, but, but the idea must be that they will just soak up plenty of bits of knowledge just by being there. Well, I mean, this tour assumes an importance which is probably greater than it was because of the fact that he can't rest all the players that he wants to and the fact that they're coming off a very poor Six Nations tournament. If they have a poor tour as well, then it won't derail everything, but it puts him in a difficult position Mm. because he's already starting to get um, a lot of stick from various quarters. Now, that won't bother him personally, but it doesn't help when you're going forward, it doesn't help the people who are in the squad or in the team who will feel, at least vicariously, a lot of pressure. So they need, I would say, to win this series. It doesn't matter whether it's 2-1. Absolutely must avoid getting whitewashed. If they lost it 1-2, they will be disappointing. But that is an absolute minimum for me. Yeah, I mean, England first off haven't won a test in South Africa for, for quite some time I think it's not since 2000 so, so they're going there anyway with history or recent history against them anyway the, the dynamic has changed massively in terms of we were looking at this tour last year as a 3-0 result just because South Africa were playing so poorly and England were, were doing so well 
then England have had that Six Nations and South Africa have a new head coach and I think therefore a 2-1 series either way is now more likely and we don't actually know who that is going to fall in favour of which is a big change from from November last year um, what's going to be really interesting is, is if a guy like Ben Earl is on tour out there and all of a sudden England have a, a number of injuries to their sevens or sixes and then he having had only a handful of, of games for Saracens really in the first team then gets thrust into a test environment. I mean, I mean that's where the, the idea of taking these younger players is going to really kind of be fascinating to watch. And the other aspect is what are they going to face? Because as you say, South Africa in the last couple of years have not been anywhere near what we expect from a Springbok team. But they've got a new management team. They're trying to get to grips with these selection policies. And I actually think England will face still a very physical test and... I think South Africa will be better than they have been. Yeah, no, no, I'd, I'd have to agree. They're obviously working towards this this set quota target of having fifty um, percent of black players by next year, by twenty nineteen. So Razi Erasmus has to contend with that and to make sure that he's he's kind of fulfilling that while, in a way, kind of emerge in an emergency way, kind of patching a team together to get ready for the World Cup next year, which, which is no easy task. Um, one that he's had a few months to kind of work over. It, it is possible to do that. There is enough talent in South Africa in the pack and, and in certain positions of the backs, but they are light in, in two key positions, which is inside centre. That There's no real clear answer who's going to play there um, or whether they might change and play two playmakers and, and have Andre Pollard at 12, we don't know. And scrum half, their best scrum half at the moment is probably still Ruan Pinar, who's 34 now at Montpellier and, and might not even be available due to the top 14 playoffs by the time the season's about to get underway. So there's still lots of questions about the South Africa side, but I think they will be better coached, certainly. Let's talk about who's won things so far. Leinster, very tense game, not particularly good quality, it has to be said. And I was surprised in the way that game turned out. It seemed to me that defensively both sides were so well coached and were so disciplined that whilst they allowed the other teams to have multiple phases, they were never really seriously threatened um, throughout the games. And it didn't make for a particularly, not edify. I don't mean edifying, but I mean, in term, it wasn't that exciting. I think in that respect, Rassing were far better than we expected, mainly because of the fact that they came into the final without Maxi Machineau at, at nine, which felt like a, a season killer after he damaged his knee ligaments. And then no, no Dan Carter before kickoff, which was more of a, a shame for sentimental reasons, because obviously he's Dan Carter, he's about to leave. Um, but Pat Lambie going off in the second minute with that knee injury, which has ruled him out of, it sounds like it's going to rule him out of the South Africa tour against England, or the series against England. Um, Rassing were just so much better than we thought defensively in that they, they actually pressed up and, and contained Leinster in that kind of 10-12 channel be- better than most teams have done probably all season. I mean, I mean, compared to what we saw against the Scarlets when they ran, ran tries in for fun, this was such a different game. And also going forward, they managed to cope with the way that Leinster have selectively attacked the breakdown with a very interesting technique. Many times you saw a runner going in with a runner on the shoulder mm-hmm. so that the ball carrier... When he was contacted, immediately the guy was there to block the initial contact so a man couldn't get over the ball. And that is one of the most effective ways of doing that. And having seen that, 
I can foresee a lot of teams now trying to play that way because it's probably the best way to counter what's been overall this season, you know, a very destructive technique. Well, yeah, you can you can assume what Munster have been looking at today and, and over the weekend in the build-up to that semi-final. Um, to be able to keep Leinster that subdued for so long was it was a huge credit to Racing and especially their, their scrum half who came in, Teddy um, Iribarin, who, who not a lot of people will have been familiar with. He, he joined from Breve last summer, I think, and he's been back up all season. And, and his game management with his box kicking... After after Racing's forwards were able to win key tur- turnovers, I thought Camille Chat, the, the France hooker, was really excellent in that regard. That was what made Racing so competitive. And so it might not have been the the similar kind of thrilling final that we saw the night before in the Challenge Cup, but it, but it was quite absorbing just because you were waiting for Leinster to really kind of break out and, and score all these tries, and, and, and they never did. Well, you mentioned Cardiff, and we've got a question uh, from Ben. Is Cardiff Blues winning the Challenge Cup the performance of the season given a playing budget of only £4.5 million. Well, that playing budget, whilst it's smaller than some of the Premiership teams and some of the Pro 14 teams, is not that far off the mark with a lot of the other contemporaries. Having said that, Cardiff have historically woefully underachieved. Uh, and they didn't this time. They saw it through, irrespective of what you say of the officiating. How important... Uh, was that win from? What do you think it will do for them going forward? It's a real shame that they um, that their coaching staff is about to kind of go separate ways. With, with Danny Wilson's off to Wasps and and Matt Sherratt moving on, and and uh, the Blues were were not really going anywhere in the middle of the season, and, and it kind of felt like they'd shut up shop and and that they were just going to coast out the rest of the campaign. And yeah, now they've they've picked up a second European title. Um, there's, there were loads of positives. Ollie Robinson coming on, doing a great shift for 75 minutes as that early replacement. And um, Ellis Jenkins was excellent again. I think Gareth Anscombe's performance will probably be the most pleasing thing, both for the Blues and for Wales. He, he was brought over to quite a big fanfare. I, I don't necessarily think it's worked out as many expected with him nailing down to places the Welsh number 10 or, or as the fullback. But, but he's such a talented operator and, and he stepped up when it mattered to land the kick. So... Lots of positives, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how the new coach coming in, how they're going to handle that transition, having been so successful late on in the season. Well, mentioning the losing finalist, Gloucester, they're going to have Danny Cipriani in their ranks next year. A couple of things about that. It signals an intention, I think, to try and compete for a World Cup place, which I think is admirable. Mm. Being picked by Eddie Jones, what I wouldn't like to see is him go to... South Africa and get no game time and not be involved because I can't see the point in taking him you know, otherwise. Yeah, well, if he is going to start in South Africa, that marks a complete kind of turnaround in his fortunes, which, which nobody was really fully expecting about a week before the squad was announced. Well, I don't think he'll necessarily start because you've got other people there that yeah. Jones has played before him, but certainly... Uh, on the bench and to get some game time. Yeah, but but Jones has said in the past that he doesn't see him being that type of personality in a squad, has, hasn't he? He's said that he's not sure that he's... Well, why take him at all then? Well, this is the question. How, how has he come around so far to, to be involved in the South Africa tour? Has Eddie just changed his mind or has he performed so well that he is going to start? I mean, this is the, this is the big question, really. The, the fact he's going to Gloucester... Great signing for them. I'd love to know what Owen Williams thinks, who moved there from Leicester last season, kind of billed as the 
as the number one fly half, and now and now Danny Cipriani's coming in and, and is clearly going to be the number one there. Um, but in terms of Cipriani with England, is he really a fullback? I, I know his recent Test performances have, have come as a fullback in Test rugby, but that's when he's not been kind of fully immersed into the side. He's barely played fullback for for Wasps this season, as far as I can recall. It would seem quite odd to suddenly stick him there and, and expect him to feature heavily against the Springboks. It would be nice to see him playing with someone like Henry Trinder, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, one of one of those unlucky uh, not to make the tour. I mean, you could argue with his with his injury history um, that maybe it's best that, that he has a summer off, a full pre-season with Gloucester, and then if he keeps playing the way he has been playing in the last few months of the season, then he has to go to Japan and he has to be involved with England in next season just because his form out of position on the wing has been excellent and he is primarily a 13 and he can still do a job there as well it's just nice to see him fit and healthy really and and, and fulfilling his potential and uh, the seventh signing for Saints this year is James Haskell yeah he finally has a home after a few weeks and months of, of wondering where he would end up on the one hand you could say well if they're going for a, a new and fresh approach why pick someone you know who is towards the end of his career but what they will get is they will get a consummate professional they'll get a consummate professional they'll get a, a, a leader um, it, it's a one year deal so, so it's more of a prove it deal I guess if all goes well he could sign on for a further seasons Saints are, are fairly well set for back rows for, for flankers and, and number eight so it's a, it's a bit of a surprise in that regard but, but obviously a fantastic move for him to keep him in England because he still feels like he can contribute to the England team and and Eddie Jones, we saw turn to him again in the Six Nations, so there clearly is a role for him there. He, he now gets a summer off as well. He's not going to South Africa. So fascinating to see what happens in terms of whether this move leads to him being really involved with England in November. But he will add plenty to that dressing room, as we, uh, as we know. And there's a vacancy at Quinns. Paul Gustard and Sean Edwards have been put in the frame. I'm not sure how serious those names are. I don't mean they're not uh, talented coaches I just wonder whether Quinns will go for someone who's not been the main man irrespective of whatever talent they have and we know that they're both very successful in their own disciplines do Quinns need an experienced and well versed number one or can they go on a project so to speak I think it would be um, it would be amazing if, if Paul Gusted left his England role now a year out from the World Cup to join Harlequins I think that would be that would not reflect very well well likewise with Sean Edwards well well, quite yeah it, it would be it would not necessarily reflect well on on either of the national coaching side setups to lose such a key figure of your backroom staff a year before the World Cup when you're meant to be in this kind of World Cup cycle I think what Quinns are after is just a completely fresh start because the problem as we've heard so much this season is that there have been too many familiar voices in that camp where you've had senior players retire and, and instantly join the coaching staff and so the messages have been the same you, you were John Kingston shifting roles I think they really want to to just kind of cut ties and almost hit refresh instantly I mean Nick Evans we see must be there as well in terms of whether you can hire someone with a long term vision a younger coach or or a number one I think it would be interesting to see them land, land a big fish land a big number one um, because this is a club that should be playing Champions Cup rugby with the squad they've got. Well, a couple of points about potential expansions. A question from Sean, 
Uh, what's our thoughts on the first German team in the Challenge Cup? Is it good for expanding the game? Heidelberger, RK, have qualified through the Continental Shield. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's not so long ago that we were wondering if Germany were going to really upset the order and actually qualify for the Rugby World Cup. There was a chance where, where that was on the cards early this season and, and sadly it's fizzled out. Um, it's excellent news. There's clearly a huge appetite for professional rugby over there in Germany, the way the national side have been playing. They've, they've been playing great attacking rugby from the video clips that we've seen, as well as getting those key results. Um, the more expansion, the better, really. Well, people have been talking and they know about Georgia and you know other teams, Russia... Um, who've been powerful and been putting these results in, I don't think many people understand the possibilities in Germany, and they are huge. Yeah, yeah, with the potential athletes that you've got there um, and, and the resources as well and, and the potential investment that's available for, for Germany, like we've said with the USA over the years, if it can click and if there's enough exposure in, and it all fits together, then then you are going to have a sleeping giant on your hands. So for Heidelberger to, to get to this stage of the Challenge Cup and, and to see what they can achieve next season, yeah, that feels like a, a logical next step in that process. And talking about potentially powerful economic forces, we have to go to the Pacific Islands who aren't, and that's been one of their perennial problems, losing players who simply can have can't afford not to take the very lucrative contracts around the world. And there's a plan, I think, by the New Zealand government back to help set up a Pacific Islands super rugby team. Now, there are several ways you could view this. They obviously need something to try and stop this drain. Whether or not they need a combined team must be open to question. And I just wonder how well resourced this will be what the logistics will be and whether it will be properly supported because if it hasn't got the right backing they can't solve those problems it won't do much to solve the problems that the islands have got well you, you've hit the nail on the head there as nice an idea as it is to have a pacific rugby team and, and given the given the talent coming out of fiji samoa and tonga that we've seen throughout professional rugby it would be fantastic to have a team but who who funds this team? Where does the money come from to make it sustainable? Which stadium did they play in? It sounds like they'll play in Suva, but also they're going to have to play games in Samoa and Tonga as well, which is going to leave you with a Sunwolf situation where they've been flitting between Tokyo and, and Singapore to split their games, and, and that hasn't necessarily worked very well. Um, are the New Zealand government going to be funding it? In which case, or the, or the New Zealand Rugby Union, have they, have they got the funds to kind of contribute and help out? I think that's been part of the report that's been circulated. That's difficult to see as well. There's so many logistics. Why, why would they do this, though? Well, I, th I think there's, the, the logic is that they've been involved in this study and that they've, they've been part of the proposal and kind of the idea. So would they therefore kind of help fund and invest in it I think probably because you could argue so many Pacific players have left Fiji, Samoa and Tonga to play Super Rugby over the years maybe there's, there's a sense that things should be balanced out a little bit and that they should contribute the other way I know that's not necessarily how the real world works but it's a theory to put out there It is a theory I can't understand why they'd be so altruistic I just don't see what's and this might be being cynical but what's in it for them? Yeah well quite I think for them they, they like I said they will have seen they know those rugby communities better than anybody and I think the, the drive from players who've been in Super Rugby have so often finished their careers and looked back and said, 
if only it had been possible to have a super rugby team playing in the Pacific Islands. The fact that we've actually had a study happen to see whether this could happen, that's never happened before. I mean, I mean, there's never been, we've never gone this far down the path, but I still don't see actually where the money comes from to make it sustainable and, and also where they would then fit into a competition that's just got rid of three teams to try and make things a bit smoother. So do you now want to add another extra team as well and add in where they're going to play and, and the complications of the travel? It's a nice idea. I'm not too sure how quickly or swiftly it will come about. Well, it's semi-final time this weekend and the Guinness Pro 14 sees Glasgow take on Scarlets and Leinster take on Munster. Very pleased to say we can now speak to the Glasgow and Scotland fullback Stuart Hogg. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? Okay, mate. First of all, can I just say congratulations on an excellent season personally. You've got Scarlets at home. What are you expecting from them? Yeah, it's going to be a tough test for us. Uh, you know, they're very physical up front and they like to check the ball about as well. So, um, you know, they play an exciting band of rugby um, and, and so do we. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking to be a, a tasty encounter and one that, that our boys are, uh, are very much looking forward to. Now, usually I'd say you probably have the edge on lots of teams that you play out wide, but it seems a fairly even contest in the backs. Lots of attacking uh, threats and opportunities. What what should you look for? What will you look for to target on them? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a number of different things. Obviously, we have to kind of keep it hush hush just now. But um, yeah, look, they're a fantastic team. They've got an exciting backline, a very uh, a very quick back three who, who looks to get on ball as much as they possibly can. So um, you can just see the as a touch to another the brand of rugby they try and play. Uh, very exciting, um, and and they're probably one of the best teams that are finishing off opportunities. Um, you know the their support lines from the nines, tens, twelves, everybody looks to get involved. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to be on, on the money defensively and um, really try and shut them down. How important uh, to you is it that you're at home? Uh, massive important, I think, if you go by um, go by stats and um, you know, not not many teams win the, the semi-final on the road. So, uh, you know, that, that's one thing. But you know, we, we love playing at Scotland in front of our home fans, um, very vocal we've uh, extended our stand to, to just under 10,000 as well so um, yeah we're very much looking forward to, to a packed house and, and a cracking atmosphere so um, if, if you look at our home record this year we've managed to take 49 out of 50 points that are available and, and nobody's left Scotland uh, Scotland um, with any points as well Stuart it's Ben here just with uh, with the Scarlets it, it feels like for them it's a bit of a bit of an end of an era in some ways because they've got lots of key players moving on and and they had the um, the disappointment of the Champions Cup. Are you, is you kind of wary of those extra motivations for them? Um, yeah, obviously, a, a few boys uh, moving on, like, like every other club. And um, yeah, it's going to be a, a huge physical battle for us. But I think you know, they, they're they're disappointed in the in the fact that they didn't uh, qualify for Europe. They got beaten the the semi-finals. But um, you know, we've read a, a couple of bits and pieces that they're they're looking forward to another shot at, uh, at Leinster. So they're backing themselves to get to the final, which is. Um, which is quite good, a little bit of motivation for us. And um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, for them to, to come up and, uh, and get stuck into them. I think the quality of the Pro 14 has been good this year. The South African franchises that came in, how uh, did you enjoy the visits of the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings, the reciprocal ones? Um, yeah, obviously the big, big physical teams that... that like to try and have mercy on one over the top of you. So uh, it was a game that um, I didn't quite... 
enjoy as much as I normally would. Uh, obviously, I wasn't uh, out uh, with the boys when the, when the travel to South Africa to take on the Cheetahs, but the boys I've, I've touched on, that, that's one of the hardest games that they've had to play this year in terms of you know, the, the physicality battle, the, the conditions that they were playing in. Um, you know, obviously, they're travelling to the Travelling down to South Africa, um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a tough old test for the boys. But you know, I think they've added a lot um, to our league and they've expanded it. They've, they've brought in a couple of franchises and uh, really added something to the league, which which has been cracking. And um, you know, obviously, with the different conferences now, it's a little bit switch up. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been very um, you know exciting year for them. Well, there's been talk of adding another three South African franchises. Would you like to see that? Uh, immediately, or do you think that the Pro 14 could do with a bit of bedding downtime in the new uh, format? Yeah, I think that the way we've got it going just now is uh, is pretty good. Um, obviously, the, the powers that be will, will make the decisions on that, and, and we'll just kind of concentrate on what happens just now. But yeah, it has been an exciting year in terms of expanding it to, to the Pro 14 and you know, different uh, two different conferences. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still another challenge uh, to the boys, and it's one that, that we've adapted to well and, and really enjoyed. Well, I've looked at the Scotland touring squad and I must say it's the most depth I've seen in a touring squad from Scotland for quite a long time. There are lots of very good players there, but who might we look out for who uh, are on the fringes? Um, yeah, obviously it's a, it's a young squad that's going out. Gregor's picked uh, an exciting team and uh, given boys uh, an opportunity to, um, to show what they've got uh, over, over the summer. Um, Obviously, rested a lot of key players, but given given the youngsters a little bit of experience as well. So, I think you've got to can maybe look at can Adam Hastings, um, you know, an opportunity to play with Finn being rested. So, uh, a good opportunity for Adam to step up and kind of make his mark in the Scotland team. Stuart, you've mentioned Finn there. Um, he's obviously off to France. Uh, are you going to uh, going to miss having him around, seeing seeing him on, seeing him on a regular basis? Um, yes and no. Um, obviously, he's a <laughs> A cracking guy, and he really brings great energy to the club. And um, he's one of the most laid-back guys you'll ever ever come across. Uh, a mistake doesn't seem to phase him, and it really quite frustrates me at times because uh, I wish I was kind of the same. But yeah, look, uh, as I say, uh, you will be a big miss to, miss to Glasgow, but you know, he's he's earned that, that contract and earned the opportunity to play in France, and you know, he goes with, with all the all the best wishes. So, um, in terms of not missing them, yeah, that's. Probably a little bit harsh. I will actually. <laughs> Stuart, in terms of the grand plan for the World Cup, how far down the line, how well do you think Scotland are doing? Yeah, I think we're on the right road. I'm obviously not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, we know there's a, a hell of a lot of work to be done, uh, both individually and collectively, for us to be in a position to to compete. Um, but we're, 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 it's an exciting time for Scottish rugby. Everybody's going well. You know, we're, we're in the in the semi-final. Edinburgh is not far from joining us. So. Uh, you know, we're on the right track. A lot of hard work still to be done, but we're on the, we're on the right road. And, and, and uh, as I say, it's an exciting time for us. And, and it's all about staying grounded, working incredibly hard at our clubs. And then we get the opportunity to play for Scotland and make the most of it and, and really you know, keep us uh, climbing that ladder. Stuart, can I just say good luck on Friday and good luck in the summer. Enjoy yourself. Thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you very much. Now it's time to speak to a Champions Cup winner. It's Jack Corden, the Leinster and Ireland Number eight. Hello, uh, Jack. Hello, Brian. How are you? Bearing in mind you've got a Guinness Pro semi-final against your arch-rivals Munster, how fully did you celebrate that win? 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, celebrated to its utmost. I think you know. I think there's a few lots celebrating at this stage, but you know, we only get a few days to, to kind of turn the page and go back to work and be refocused at Munster and stop that we can dwell on for too long, unfortunately. See, on the one hand, obviously, getting Leinster back onto uh, their European glory has to be balanced against the fact that you are known, and one of the reasons for the tremendous success you've had has been that professionalism. Will you still have a hard uh, Tuesday session? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we like to think that, you know, we are as good as we are because of how hard we train and how hard we push ourselves um, Monday through to Friday. Um, I know Stuart, obviously, is, is such a big fan of... Um, having uh, training at such a high standard that when it comes to the game, it, it's nearly easier than, than, than how it has been during the week. So uh, I can't imagine tomorrow's going to be any different just because we, we've won a bit of silverware. Um, you know, I think today we're just going to blow out the cobwebs a little bit and take kind of a stock assessment, see how, how everyone is and we'll be back to drawing board tomorrow and training hard as we always do. Jack, it's Ben here. Um, you were uh, you were involved in one of the key moments where after Racing kind of nicked that line out and then all of a sudden, you've got Teddy Thomas trying to trying to run around the outside of you. What what was going through your head when you saw him trying to trying to sneak up the touchline? Well, I was praying that he wasn't going to uh, skin me on the outside because <laughs> we'd been watching obviously uh, we'd been watching uh, video of him all week and what the electrifying pace that he has and you know how he he's done so much damage in this European uh, competition so far. So um, I was very very fortunate to have that uh, as another defender right beside me. You know, the way the game had been going, there'd been extremely amount of high tackles that Wayne Barnes had been uh, analyzing people for. So um, I was, there was a moment there where I thought potentially it was on the on the verge of being a bit high. And, you know, as a sub, when you're coming on, the last thing you ever want to do is put the team in a worse position because of something you've done. So, and another day, it probably could have been given. So, you know, I was delighted that I made the right decision and probably uh, helped out the lads in a positive light. A couple of extra difficulties when you come to the semi-final first of all um, the prospect of trying to get yourself up again having already won that very big trophy and secondly the fact that it's against a team that you know really really well Munster so-called local derby where peculiarities always seem to abound these fixtures how are you going to approach it? Well you know I think it's it's easier it's an easier game to to um mentally prepare for it and to get up for it because it is Munster, you know. Um, obviously, they're our biggest rivals um, in Ireland and every time we play them is, is such a massive occasion and such a difficult task. So I don't think there'll be any kind of uh, hangover uh, from, from this weekend. I think lads will be fresh and ready to go and, and hungry to, to play against Munster on the weekend. Um, so I think that's something that goes in our favour and, and because it is them, um, um, we'll prep even harder and, and, and be more... Um, Shoot in our, uh, our studying of them and, uh, and the way they like to play the game. So I think it's a, it's a massive benefit that it is, in fact, uh, Munster at home in the ODS and Saturday. Well, Jack, can I uh, give you our congratulations for winning the Champions Cup and wish you uh, good luck on Saturday. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Well, we talked to Stuart Hogg about the Greenest Pro 14 semi-finals. Coming up on Saturday are the Aviva Premiership semi-finals, Saracens and Wasps, Exeter and Newcastle. Of the two, you might say on paper that the Saracens-Wasps game should be the more exciting, but 
bearing in mind how Newcastle have played, not just in terms of the amount of wins they've got, which has been unexpected, but the manner in which they've played. I don't think uh, you can say that, nor do I think that actually that these games are that easy to predict. Yeah, uh, based on what Newcastle have achieved this season, having having made the top four for the first time, or, or the playoffs for the first time, having having won at Welford Road, which hadn't happened for 20 or 21 years, um, it feels wrong to, to suddenly write them off from winning at Exeter. That being said, Exeter have just been so dominant at home this season, and, and they've dominated the league, really, bar the odd the old shocking result like their home loss to Worcester early in the season they've been fantastic from start to finish it, it would be one of the greatest perf shocks we've ever had maybe the greatest if Newcastle went there not out of disrespect to the Falcons because they've clearly got a system and, and a structure that works it, it's more just because the Chiefs have been so dominant well statistics do tell you that it is difficult to win away and that's why teams want to get a home advantage if the Sarsons Wasp game was reversed and Wasp were at home. I would give them more of a chance, I suppose, from their point of view and our point of view. Saracens have stuttered a bit this season. When they've had everyone fit and available, they've looked something like their old self. But too many times, and I think they would accept this, you know, they've uh, you know played in patches and not managed to put what they used to do habitually, which was total game performances and therefore if they are not right on their metal, although again I don't think Wasps have been as good as they were last year this is not an insurmountable task for Wasps No, no you've touched on it there Saracens in the past have, have become kind of famous for being able to, to just dominate contests from start to finish and just to um, suck the life out of opposing teams which makes you wonder is that performance just kind of there waiting to happen and, and does it actually happen on Saturday? Is, is that when everything clicks? It's quite an unusual time for them given that recently, well, in the last few years, they've normally been involved in Europe. They've been in semi-finals or finals and they've kind of been competing on two fronts. They've had a bit more rest this time. They've had a bit more time to kind of tactically plan for what Wasps are going to offer, um, which will allow, which will also have allowed kind of key players to get a bit more rest and and to come back into the side as well. Um, so I'm interested to see whether we get the kind of inconsistent Saracens like you mentioned we've seen this season, or actually whether we get the older version who can dominate teams. Um, as for Wasps, I feel like they're a bit of a wild card. I think Danny Cipriani has been playing so well. Um, at fly half and, and that their attack is clicking as it tends to do at the end of the season when the weather gets better um, it, it all comes down to can they handle what Saracens offer up front which as, as we know with Mario Toje and, and the rest of that pack can be explosive power kind of consistently wearing you down Well talking about Wasp it leads on to another question from me listener B the J I know I'd hear what that uh, <laughs> stands for but it says what are your views on Christian Wade's omission from Eddie Jones' squad for South Africa big mistake or correct choice. Well, with Wade, and with all players actually, you can find reasons to pick them and reasons not to pick them. And you just either feature their strengths or their weaknesses. Having said that with Wade, I've never felt that his performances for Wasps have given me the confidence that he would be secure enough in international rugby. I know that people are talking about what he can do and... This was always the thing about Ashton, who always performed far better than people said. And what he contributed, 
it's vastly outweighed any negatives. But I think the margin and I think the balance with Wade is different. And it's simply like this. If a national coach doesn't have that feeling about one part of your game, there's very little you can do about it unless you demonstrate week after week that that's not the case. And unfortunately with Christian Wade, the minor um, defensive lapses occur far too regularly for that to be the case for me. Yeah, I think we're at a stage with, with him um, where if he hasn't been properly looked at by Eddie Jones yet in, in this stage of the, the four-year cycle leading up to next year, it, it would seem very unlikely that, that he does get a nod. Having said that, we were saying the same thing about Danny Cipriani until a couple of months ago and look where he is now. I think also, uh, look at the wingers picked ahead of Wade for the Barbarians game and and the Tour South Africa guys like Nathan Earl, Joe Cock and the Seager, even Ben Loder's in there from, from London Irish, the eighteen year old. That probably tells you how kind of far he is from really being on the England scene again. I think it's this Wednesday. It's the Premiership yeah, yeah, Awards yeah. night. Player of the season nominees: Nicky Gonover, Don Armand, uh, Fafta Clerk. And you've also got uh, Danny Cipriani and Jamie Gibson of Northampton. Those are your five nominees. Who's your money on? Don Armand, I think, will be very close if he doesn't win it. Gonover? Yeah, Gonover's got to be in there, um, as has Cipriani, really. Um, Faf de Klerk's probably been the best signing, certainly, given what he's done for sale at Scrum Half. But, but Don Armand, who continues to be overlooked by England, is, has probably been the player of the season. And in terms of... Coach, head coach or director of rugby, there can't be any other winner than Dean Richards, can there? No, no, it has to be him. I, I mean, full credit to him and, and Dave Walder as well for getting the Falcons up from eighth last season to fourth. I mean, that's a huge climb in, in a very short space of time with, with a squad that isn't necessarily full of blockbuster names like we're used to with the other top four teams. And with a budget that is uh, nowhere near the salary cap. Precisely. Yeah, they've really managed to achieve a lot with players who have bizarrely been let go from other clubs, like Gonover, for example. I mean, Leicester must be ruined the fact that he's gone based on what he did to them at Wilford Road the other week. It would be quite uh, a redemption for Dean Richards. It would be, yeah. It's certainly been a gradual one, um, but the project in Newcastle since he took over after his ban has, has really steadily built. It hasn't happened overnight by, by any stretch of the imagination, but look at where Falcons are now compared to a few years ago. It's fantastic to see them playing really attacking rugby with a group of players who clearly all buy into what they're building. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact. Thank you to my co-host Ben Coles and, as always, my producer Abby Patterson. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast because it's absolutely free and leave a review. We'll be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye. Brian Moore's Full Contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family, as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph Football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it.